enter if you dare this ghastly conversation of teens fraught with despair and recent lacerations. Final girl, chase after her, don't let her get away. But first, the slumber podcast massacre. Welcome to Slumber Podcast Massacre with TNA. That's Tim. That's Andy. And this is a podcast about horror. Every week, Tim and I get together. We talk about a different film from the horror genre, from your well-known classics down to that rare gem that says escape in a very convincing (laughs) regional dialect at the back of your video store shelf. It's the summer of fear. It's the, you know, it's late summer, late summer of fear. The dog days. The dog days of the summer of fear. Uh, it's uh, it's Shutter Island from 2010. Tim, do you ever think that you could prove your own sanity? Oh, you know, it's kind of funny. I, I think it was, I want to say it was Timothy Leary that kind of lucked out that way for as many crazy things as he did. I think he was also instrumental in like writing one of the main sanity tests. So that would kind of give you a license to just fry your brain as much as you wanted, because you could be like, look, I wrote the test for this. Um, I put in the work I've earned this. Right. Um, yeah, I've been sane. like I've done that. Uh, proving my own sanity. Well, I'll tell you, I, um, I I have a, a like a little short battery of tests for myself. Like there were times where I would, you know, push it really hard or maybe I'd just get knocked on the head. Let's let's do something a little bit more innocent. Get knocked on the head. But then I'd think to myself af- afterward like okay, I I know who Santa Claus is. Like I don't know why I picked Santa Claus as the measurement for sanity yeah. because he's uh not real or unless you're listening and you're under seven years old uh what are you talking about he's uh he's oh, in yeah. that new detective crashmore movie <laughs> forgot about that um but no i um i feel like it, that question is it's a good one for me because you know talking about this fear in general it's something that's really really important to me to maintain my sanity even though i i have gone to great lengths to push the the limits of that over the years Um, but yeah, I think that that's what is the importance of the like one or two really special things in your life that if you know that you're still connected to those things, and if you know that you're still right in the head about those, you know, that even if the rest of it gets a little cloudy and that's okay, you know, it happens. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I, uh, it's enough to make you wonder because, you know, there was that ridiculous quote. I, I would love to know who started this thing. You remember it was about 10 years ago that and people have used this as an anecdote ever since. And they say, you know how this quote goes. Well, you know, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and yeah. over and expecting. A that's always result. attributed to Einstein. I don't know if that is, is his quote, but. But that's sort of that's kind of a narrow like definition of sanity, isn't it? Well, or, yeah, I don't. I think they're more applying it to the hey, you keep doing the same thing and getting the same result. Not like here, I'm I'm putting giving a textbook definition of insanity. Right. It's more like 
you apply that to a person like you keep making the same mistake and getting the same result like that you know you thinking that's going to change somehow is what crazy is well that makes sense because yeah i mean otherwise you could just do like the craziest thing in the world once right and you'd be fine because yeah, like you, a, yeah. that's not the one metric of craziness yeah like, i'd like to check myself in do you keep doing the same thing and expecting the same result not not really no right well, like, you can go home then yeah you're not gonna shoot people from that clock tower again are you i mean that was just a one-time thing wasn't it um but uh but no i um i think that it's uh it's a really broad and interesting question that you asked because i suppose that sanity is pretty it's, but it's interesting, though, because sanity is is what it's just a sort of collective agreement on what something is exactly. like bl- the color blue for me is the color blue for you. We just kind of make that assumption. It could be completely different. But yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, I, I like to dance on that line of being sane, of pushing things to the limit, of saying crazy things, but always having that tether to reality um and because if you do that if you really hang on tight yeah then you can then you can just fuck with people <laughs> and say whatever you want and you they know can look at doing. you and think that you're the craziest person in the world but it's like i'm just having fun here yeah um you ever do that <laughs> i have you know um i remember one time i used to have this thing that i would say about Cause I love tornadoes and I used to have this thing that I would say like, man, I really, really love tornadoes. And just in saying that people would look at me kind of crazy, like, like, Oh my God, why would you say that you love, love such a, like a destructive force? And they'd say like, really, you, you love tornadoes. And I'm like, yeah. And I really, really want to see one in person because when I do, if I jump into it, then I get my tornado powers. <laughs> and then they just kind of like, you know, usually sort of change the subject or just really more often than not, not say anything. Right. Um, but yeah, I love fucking with people that way. <laughs> and I think that maybe that's maybe you just hit on what the, the key here is, is that the tighter grip you have on sanity, the more fun you can have with drifting away from it yeah yeah that's a good point because if if you're just you can still see as long as you can still see the shore right but but you know you got to disguise it you got to do it really really well like there were all times or there were times for all of us i think i'll just pick somebody i mean there's probably better examples but maybe the first time you the very first time you ever saw uh, zach galifianakis yeah and you're like is is this guy really kind of fucked up a little bit? Yeah. Like, and then you realize just how good he is at what he does. Yeah, um, that he is super smart. Man, what and a good good. reference because that is exactly how I felt. Because I saw him yeah. first when he did his. He had a late. I, I think you know that he had a like a talk show on VH1 called Late World with Zach. Yes, and no one watched it. <laughs> no, we stumbled onto it and we're like. Just had never seen this guy before. Uh, he was so deadpan. And yeah, you're just like, where where did this guy come from? And I just b- began an obsessive, you know, f- fanness, I guess. I mean, I don't know. Just like I would just consume myself with everything he did. And then him like making a big break. It's like I did something. I'm like, I knew it. 
I knew you could do it. I knew back in that crazy <laughs> show you did. Um, yeah, I love Zach Galifianakis. He hasn't done much lately. Not not, not much. To get off on a Galifianakis tangent. Yes, no, not much. I mean, well, that Between Two Ferns movie came out like what a handful of years ago. The movie of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but no, that's that's the fun you can have with it. And the other thing too is that it's life becomes really fun. If you treat it like, like the movie that it is, and it's not to say that you shouldn't have sincere relationships or that you shouldn't be good by other people that you care for. But I mean, even as far back as, you know, middle school for me, certainly high school, I, I had the, a wondrous time at that time, just knowing who I was kind of keeping it all to myself, mm. but really pushing the boundaries of what i I expressed on the outside so as to sort of distract people and leave them wondering and leave them sort of just befuddled as to what the fuck is up with this guy. (laughs) But it was always just for fun. I mean, it was because I enjoyed it and it was fun for me. (laughs) So I think that, um, I don't know, I guess the, I guess the moral of the story is like, uh, be a little less sane or at least make it messier (laughs) and, uh, and have a little fun with it. Yeah. You know who didn't have any fun? <laughs> Leonardo DiCaprio. Tim, it's uh it's Shutter Island. Okay, so this one, uh man, this was this is an interesting one. It's our first and probably the last Marty Scorsese movie. Uh right? Can, uh, did he do any Cape Fear, I guess, maybe. Hmm, oh. Maybe. All right. Forget oh, about okay. that one. Good, good okay, call. yeah, this is directed by Martin Scorsese. This is written by uh, Leda Calagridis, I believe is how you say her name. Uh, and it stars Leonardo DiCaprio, Mark Ruffalo, Ben Kingsley. It had a budget of $80 million. Box office of two ninety four. Yet, no one talks about this movie. The only way people talk about this movie if someone says, have you seen Shutter Island? And someone either goes, yes. Or, no, I haven't seen that yet. And then, like, conversation ends about it. I swear <laughs> to God. So, crazy it was that big. Um, let's uh, nan some real quick. Federal Marshal Edward Teddy Daniels has just arrived at the Ashcliff Hospital for the Criminally Insane on Shutter Island. He and his new partner, Chuck, are here to investigate the disappearance of inmate Rachel Solando, who vanished without a trace. When Rachel reappears, Teddy confides in Chuck that he is really there to search for a supposed current inmate named Andrew Latis, who he believes was responsible for setting a fire that killed his wife. But as Teddy digs deeper into the strange workings of the facility, he begins to unravel a different story that begins to have Teddy questioning his own sanity. Shutter Island. Yeah, not uh, not a whole hell of a lot that you can say without giving away some. No, but I was I was kind of impressed with uh, how much I did get into yeah. that synopsis. Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, yeah. It's it's as far as you can get into it without uh, without spoiling anything. And and you know, speaking of spoilers, that was really a a great experience for me watching this because I, I 2010 was a really busy year for me, <laughs> and this movie fell onto the list that so many of us have where it's like that movie looks fucking awesome. Yeah. I can't wait to see it. I'm so excited to see it that I know that I'll see it 
and I'm not even like worried about like putting it on my list for this weekend. Right. I, just, I know for a fact that I'm going to see that movie. Well, I did 11 years later. <laughs> and uh, so I don't know why it took this long, but um, but I'm definitely glad that I saw it. Well, yeah, I didn't see it in theaters either. And it was it was almost the same thing. Like, oh, wow. I mean, I'm not a huge uh, Leo or at least wasn't in 2010. Leo did not draw me in. Scorsese certainly did. Uh, and it looked cool. Uh, and yeah, I think for me, too, it was like, well, I'll definitely see that or it, I'm going to see that. And then you miss it. And now it's on video and you're like, well, am I just going to like watch it alone? I'll wait for someone else. But then no one talked about this movie after it was in theaters. Well, I mean, kind of on a just a personal note for both of us. We had also just wrapped up a dark psychological play that we were in and kind of had oh, was that our, the same time. Yeah. Oh, wow. Had our fill of uh, <clears throat> like dark uh, sort of uh, oh, what I want to say, like um, uh, suffocating sort of heavy duty drama. So, yeah, yeah it, it was it was something that I knew that I would love. But what I what I wanted to get at was. For He's talking much, about the pillow man, everyone. We were in the pillow man. Yes. The award winning <laughs> the pillow man uh, award winning on both of our parts. Mm-hmm. Um, so congratulations, the, by the way. The, and you, and you as well. Win. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Well deserved on your part. Um, so here's the here's a testament just very quickly to I mean, because there's you, you can't talk about this movie without it being a bit sort of um, talking about how. Uh, labyrinthian it is and mm-hmm. how distracting it is purposefully um i it was so much so and so well done that while i love the detective work like we've talked about before of trying to figure out where a movie is going before it gets there um i very quickly just resigned to watching the movie because yeah. i i just told myself it's it's going to be way way more fun if I just sit back, even though I read a review today that said that the twist at the end was visible from the very beginning from deep space. They said uh, a, a twist visible from deep space. I'm like, oh, come on. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think you're OK. You're a published writer. Fine. You're smart. But um, anyway, it wasn't visible for me from deep space. It wasn't really the visible. I can say is it's like. I guess it's like one of the only logical twists that could happen yes. right so yeah maybe if you yeah no one i mean I, i'm not gonna say no one right that guy maybe he did guess it but no i'm gonna say i didn't the, the only thing time. the only thing that i picked up on and this it's, it's kind of a good lead into the movie in general because it's my god it's it's present throughout is that um from my instruction in noir film this is about as wet as a movie gets uh, DiCaprio being no stranger to wet films, but this one being just riddled with water from the very, very beginning mm-hmm. and throughout. And I knew enough to know that in film water represents being a reflective surface. So I at least clung to the fact that with all of this water, there's something that is a mirror back to him. And I got, I picked up that much, but I couldn't figure out and, and didn't care to figure out anything beyond that. And, and, you know, I'm so glad that I didn't because I feel like when we get to it, that the twist that does happen and is ultimately revealed is so much more mundane, even though it's, 
it's a funny way to describe what actually happens, but it's so much simpler and straightforward yeah. than anything that you could have tried to put together because they throw everything at you. They throw Nazi death camps at you. Yep. They throw, you know, insane asylums at you and, you know, uh, lobotomies. Kind of, and, yeah, antiquated yeah. A uh, monsoon, like well, storm. Dead Everything's kids. disorienting. Yeah. Alcoholism. I mean, all here's, a, you know, one just to throw out one quick nugget. And I love this stuff because we love the wordplay. Um, Shutter Island being a twist of truth and lies. Yeah. Also truth slash denial. So if you take Shutter Island, the words, uh-huh. it's either truth and lies, or it could be truth slash denial. So that's, uh, I, I, I see the wheels Wait, what's, turning. Yeah. Anymore. What are you, I don't, I'm, I'm not following with oh, that, what that if means. If you twist the letters in the words Shutter Island oh. around. Oh, it can spell truth and lies. Oh, or because or, there is some anagram. Yeah, are we going to get oh, that no, right for once? For once, I'm looking it up. <laughs> Sorry for my. Uh, uh, yes, anagram. Mm, boom! God damn it, we did it, dude. We it. made it. Yes, once okay. for yes. once. There are some anagrams. Yes. And- very cool, and not the only anagram, but but very cool. Um, because and that's the other thing too. Here is that. Not to get too clever, but um, there's almost an equal amount of smoke in this movie as there is water. So yeah. you could say smoke and mirrors, sure. um, misdirection, and um, some of that done in storylines, some of that done, which I really learned more about in my research, uh, actually done just physically just to fuck with you. I mean, yeah. just to fuck with the viewers. Um, and I don't know if we have ever covered a movie Aside from like uh, the like of a movie or the appreciation, I don't think we've ever covered a film that warranted a second viewing more than this. Uh, no, yeah, probably not. And I haven't seen it a second time. I can't wait to see it a second time. Yeah, uh, because I think it'll be a lot. I think it'll make me feel kind of dumb for like, oh my god, how did I not see that? Well, you know? no, I mean, but I it's know. very cleverly done. I mean, in that just for singular first yeah. viewing. I mean, I'd seen it before and I couldn't remember all the details. I and I had this experience with Jacob's Ladder, but I'd seen this one even more recently than the first time I'd seen Jacob's Ladder. I knew pretty much what was coming, but I still wasn't 100% on how everything connected. So, mm-hmm. it was still fun. Like I, you know, a lot of it I was like, mm, is that a hint? What's a hint?" So, <laughs> So let me, I mean, and Lord knows this is, uh, this is the, the rabbit hole of, of all rabbit holes for films, which I'm sure we'll get to. But just real quick, I'm just curious. You mentioned something earlier about Leonardo DiCaprio, because um, there are some, by the way, great actors in this movie. <laughs> yeah. So let me ask you this. You mentioned something about not being maybe completely won over by Leonardo DiCaprio at that time. What have your, have been your impressions of Leo throughout the years? Um, like I thought he was fine. I'm not, you know, once also someone is like, Oh, it's like some sort of heartthrob status. You're going to be harder to win me over already. Brad Pitt was the same way. But it took him a much quicker time. Like, once he did 12 Monkeys, I was like, oh, okay. 
this guy's legit. And then Fight Club, I was like, oh, he's one of the best actors of all time. Okay. He's not, but, you know, I, I really came around on I'm gonna, it. I'm going to interject one second. Can I remind you of a quick quote of yours? We were talking about Batman, <laughs> who I know is very near and dear to your heart. Sure. You were asking me who my favorite Batman was. And I said Val Kilmer. And I think you were going to have an aneurysm. And you just <laughs> threw your head back. And you're like, this coming from the guy who judges his actors based on how they look in a pair of Levi's. <laughs> it's a direct quote from you, by the way. That's a long time ago. It was a long time ago. Wow. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I, I liked your specific branding of the pants. Yes, yes. Needless to say, Tim, uh, you did like Leonardo DiCaprio <laughs> a lot. You were into a lot of... Uh, this guy is a, a good actor, but also look how good he looks. Yes. Which is I, fine. Yeah. You and I view appearance very differently, and that's okay. That that's what makes us fun, fun friends. But did you? But did you think that? Did was there a time that you did not think that Leonardo DiCaprio was a good actor? I mean, I wouldn't say like, oh, he's bad, and I haven't seen everything, so I didn't see like I know I'm gonna say I didn't see Basketball Diaries. Oh, you gotta see. Yeah, I know. I know it's coming. Uh, <laughs> you know. But I mean, I, you know, he, I, I definitely give him credit because I know he puts forth a lot of time and effort into his work. Uh, and I understand that that is work. Um, I just I, a lot of his projects didn't resonate me with me. I don't know. Uh, Titanic, I didn't really like that much. So I'm just like, oh. Please stop with all of this. So, yeah, I mean, it took until, I don't know, I guess Django Unchained. I was like, that was like the first time where I saw him in a movie and I was like, that that's my thing. This is the first time in Django where I saw him and I was like, I don't think anyone else could have done that but Leonardo DiCaprio. Oh, okay. I can't say that about a lot of his other work. Maybe like Howard Hughes. And yeah, I mean, yeah, yes, there might be more. But that's the one where I was just like. Okay. Oh, like that was him, Nike, and he owned that part. Yeah. He, yeah, he did. He yeah. did. So um, let me ask you real quick. Uh, just switching once upon gears. A time in Hollywood. He was amazing. Um, oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, Mark Ruffalo. Yeah. What do you think of him? I love Mark Ruffalo. Okay. Now, that there's was from, a guy, the, from the very start. Okay. Yeah, there's a guy I have no issue with. You know, you know what he's like. He's he, also really worked his way up. Yeah. And, and did you hear how he got this role? No. He uh, wasn't Not like, like Leonardo. I shouldn't say that. Like he was just gifted. I had to do family ties for fuck's sake for two seasons. Right. Or growing pains. <laughs> growing pains. Yeah. You're right. You're right. But uh, but no, Um, there were some good actors that were in line to play Mark Ruffalo's role. Robert Downey Jr. and Josh Brolin, who both would have done a fine job. Wow. Um, but Mark Ruffalo just wrote kind of a fanboy letter to Martin Scorsese and said, like, I love everything you've ever done. Not like Scorsese hasn't heard that before, but sure. just apparently just gushed and just honestly came out and said, I would love the opportunity to work with you. It would mean the world to me to do this. And I just really, really hope that I get this. And he fucking gave him the part. Yeah. I, I mean, flattery goes a long way. So. I, yeah. Mark Ruffalo seems like a very, and, and this is not saying that other people in this movie aren't that way, 
But Mark Ruffalo seems like a very genuine guy, a very supportive guy, and no matter what project he's involved in, uh, I like Mark Ruffalo a lot. You know what he's like? He's like, have you ever been examined by a doctor and like they're just kind of doing their thing and it's so relaxed. It's not sexual. I mean, it's kind of like a second cousin to that maybe, but it's not sexual, but they're just like doing their thing and they're like, they're kind of speaking in hushed tones, you know, deep breath again, you know, and you're just like melting. I mean, you're just, you're, they put you like, so at ease. His acting is like that for me. Like he, even though he does nervous very well as well, but he, he just seems like a guy that has a sort of centeredness that is very comforting. Yeah. Interesting. I kind of realized I had the, I, I keep forgetting the guy's name. He was whoever was in the, um, uh, uh, the, uh, uh, um, movie about the guy richard jewell who played richard jewell in that jewel oh, movie yeah. i can't oh, think of that guy's oh, name no no oh are you talking about the guy that played him yeah oh my god his oh. voice just any if he's in a movie his voice is like asmr to me i'm like this is the most uh relaxing maybe that's like mark ruffalo for you. i have that's- got a series for just i mean just, i have to spit this out real quick i have got a series for you to watch called kingdom it's about MMA fighters, but he plays a character that's absolutely going to fucking blow your oh, mind. Okay, yeah, we'll, 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 we'll talk about it later. Okay, but um, but no, he, but yeah, he, Ruffalo, they, I think that that's how I feel. Like maybe about like Mark Ruffalo, where it's just like this is uh, soothing. It's very soothing. Yeah, and 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 you're right. He it's a sincerity too, uh, it's like a thoughtful sincerity. Yeah, to where um, especially in moments in this film knowing what we know after the big reveal happens, which I don't know. I mean, how the fuck do you talk about this without spoiling it? We, we can get there. We okay. Can get there. Well, let me just say Mark Ruffalo is not necessarily we whom he seems right uh, in the beginning. And if you, go, I would imagine that if you went back a second time and I'm just replaying the scenes in my mind as I'm, as I'm speaking right now, I can picture watching that again and seeing a sort of almost sad, like a sad, um, uh, like he's just feeling for this guy. He's feeling for Leonardo DiCaprio's character, right? Pulling for him, wanting this whole thing to work, yeah. Wanting to whatever DiCaprio is searching for to ultimately, you know, come to pass. But there's there's a, a tenderness and a care there. That might not exist between like a couple of normal U.S. marshals, right? And that makes perfect sense, knowing what we know later. <laughs> so, um, speaking to that point, I one of the very first issues that I had with this movie because I I don't think this movie is perfect. Um, one of the first issues that I had was w- the first scene that we see of those two together, Mark Ruffalo and and Leonardo DiCaprio, and it felt to me, and I told you this. It felt to me like when a play is cast and you're at your first rehearsal, you're going to go through a whole giant ass five weeks of organic process to refine scenes and discover your character. But at some point, you got to start somewhere. You just get up there and you fumble around like idiots and whatever you do up there is not going to be anything resembling nearly what the final product is. But you're just kind of fumbling around and doing your best. That initial scene on the boat when they're heading to Shutter Island uh, the exchange felt that way to me. And I yeah. actually, because of Scorsese, was thinking to myself, man, I'd, I'd kind of much rather see De Niro and Pesci playing this out right now. <laughs> like, I just, it it didn't have that sort of, like, groundedness 
that Scorsese's like a crew has or like initial first, you know, first gen Mm -hmm. of actors. But knowing what we know later, there's might be a reason for that. Right. Um, I'm just going to put some tap dance sound effects under this. Yeah. No, not really. We're actually recording this episode. It it should have come out eight hours or so ago. uh, But just scheduling wise, it's coming out a little late. I'm not adding anything. I hope we don't mess up a single thing. We did it on purpose in conjunction with the misdirection of this film in celebration <laughs> of you were expecting it to come out this morning. It's coming out tonight. It was all planned. Right. Um, Let's so, talk about some of the other actors in it. We, we don't oh, yeah. tap dance around plot stuff. Because, yeah, so you've got Mark Ruffalo as his new partner. Uh, they get to the, you know, Shutter Island. So the main psychiatrist, uh, Ben Kingsley... Uh, being, being super stoic. There are so many uh, Marvel people in this movie, and fucking Downey Jr. and Brolin were supposed to be in this. It's crazy. Yeah. Well, uh, you mentioned you mentioned um, Ben Kingsley. One thing that I said uh, when we were watching it, and it made me feel really good inside, was the realization that as I'm watching him, because Mac, I mean. Is he the best in this film? I mean, is it's possible? Uh, he might be. It's possible. Um, so good. Uh, there's there is one kind of scene stealing scene, but uh, I can't count him enough in the movie to be like, you're the best in the movie, right? And and oh, I I mean, he, let's put it this way: he is so good in in two facets. He's good when you think that maybe he's up to something sinister. And he's even better when you find out who he really is. It's he's heartbreaking. He's right. wonderful. But here's the thing: as we were watching this, speaking more to that sort sort of sinister air, and it's only very vague. Um, I mean, he does an excellent job of masking it. What I'm getting at is, I was watching this and thinking to myself, "Damn, there's a hole in all of our hearts where Kevin Spacey used to be." <laughs> but right. as I'm watching this, I'm like, "There ain't a fucking thing that." Kevin Spacey could do that Ben Kingsley couldn't. Yeah. Um, and so that's uh, that was refreshing to me. And maybe you could say to yourself that that is a role because it's kind of an older guy that he plays. He plays Dr. Cowley. Yes. Um, I guess there's probably a lot of really amazing middle to slightly older age actors that could fill that probably do a great job. I don't want anybody else but Ben Kingsley in that role. Yeah. Has he done other Scorsese stuff? I wish I had really brushed up on my Scorsese filmography. I can't really think of any. Nothing jumps to mind where I'm like, oh, right. Mm, nothing he starred in. No. Not that I can think of. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So It's um, a great matchup. And yeah. Because, man, just like, I don't know. Scorsese has such good angles sometimes. And just Ben Kingsley's so stoic, even though he's so small. Yeah. He's so imposing. Stately. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, Interesting. As we're talking about all this, let's just get it out of the way. The only Scorsese movie to receive zero acting noms. Really? Zero. The only one? The only one to not receive one acting nomination. There is no. That can't be right. It is. Well, let me look at my notes. And I'll tell you for sure. Uh, like, do you mean just Academy Award or only, just like any acting award anywhere? Only. Oh, oh, good point. Good point. Okay. Let me rephrase. 
only Scorsese movie with no Oscar nominations. So not just for acting. Okay. But zero Oscar nominations for this film whatsoever. Not one of them. Wow. So like After Hours got an Oscar nom? Yeah. Is that or him? Like uh, cr- cruising? <laughs> cruising? I don't know. Yeah, like certainly like his first couple. I mean, maybe maybe, maybe. they got like screenplay. But yeah, since <laughs> we'll say it's very rare if something doesn't get nominated. Right. For okay. Well, and it should, I would be and, curious to look that up. Later. And this movie, I mean, what more are you looking for? Yeah. That ben Kingsley doesn't get a best supporting for this. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Mark Ruffalo doesn't get a best supporting for this. A nom. Ted Levine should have got a best supporting yes. for this. Yeah. Best cameo. I mean, usually cameos yeah. are attributed to like more famous people, but I mean, yes, he deserves every bit of that. Ted Levine, by the way, and I'll say it again. I've said it before. Most captivating actor I've ever seen live on stage, and I've seen John Malkovich live on stage. What what show did you see him in? I saw him in Buried Child. Oh, Sam Shepard's Buried Child. He was, and in that same production was Ethan Hawke and James Gammon from the uh, Major League movies, um, and Ted Levine. And Ted Levine came out on stage, and you just absolutely could not take your eyes off of him. That voice, that presence, it was... um, he felt it felt like you were just weighted down by like a ton of bricks, like you were chained to the floor just watching him. Yeah, so amazing, especially because most people probably don't know that they've seen him. Yeah, in other stuff because he's, he's most known as Buffalo Bill in yes. uh, Silence of the Lambs, and in that he's like super thin, long hair, and is he's like i mean his voice is already naturally deep but he's definitely doing a right. uh, affectation in that movie but yeah he's a so geek. then to like hear him you know he still has like this deep resonating thing here but it's not almost com- like it's kind of comical in well yeah but it, i mean it, it carries uh, through like when in that uh, in buried child his first scene he's he's standing there that, I think was that the best ted levine impression it, it was heard? pretty good thank you it's pretty good um Ted Levine is is just comes in from off stage and he's I believe he's carrying a I think it's a giant like armful like a full giant armful both arms sort of rounded out and he's got a bunch of like I want to say it's carrots it's yeah. some sort of pro- carrots, carrots. and he's dripping wet I mean he's just like he's just been blasted with a fire hose and I think it was James Gammon that is like where'd you get those carrots <laughs> And uh, was oh, he the guy on the couch? Yeah. Okay. And all, all Ted Levine says is, "Oh, back." <laughs> but it's like, I mean, it was. It just immediately sucked you in. That voice, that presence. Um, man, so good. And, yeah. And he's used to beautiful, beautiful effect in this because it's not a lot of scene. But holy God, that guy makes an impression. If yeah. you, you give him five Well, minutes. and his scene is not even a scene that technically needs to be in the movie. It's no. more of a thematic. Yeah. Just kind of break. Right. Yes. And it's so good. Um, you know, that it, it's funny you say that. It kind of makes me think about something in general about this movie. It's not a short movie. No. Um, it, over two hours. Yeah. And I was thinking about it today, trying to remember my viewing experience. And I tried to remember if I felt like this movie was too long. And I don't think it is. Um, They cram a lot in. Yeah. You can tell it's long, but it's two and a half hours long. It does not feel two and a half hours. No. No, it's 220. 220. But it doesn't feel that. 
and and maybe at times where it might feel a little meandering is probably more owed to uh, the narrative being distracting and being uneven. Now, let me ask you this, and it's okay if you want to brag. I learned today that some of that misdirection is absolutely in our faces, but I didn't catch it. I don't think I caught it when I was watching it the first time. For example, the one that they always give is there is a scene where in in a patient in the hospital is miming drinking a glass of water. And then in the very next scene that you see her, she actually has a glass of water that she's drinking. So what Scorsese is trying to establish there subconsciously to the viewer is that we have an unstable narrator, Yeah, which we, we come to find out the, yeah. the reason for that. One of um, my favorite uh, narrators to, or narrators, the, uh, the uh, unreliable narrator. Yeah. Uh, um, what's that? What's that show called? Legion, the Legion, uh, the X-Men kind of Legion show that F uh, that was on FX. Did you ever see that? I haven't seen that. Oh, Tim. So good. He was an unreliable narrator. Like, yeah. You just thought he was crazy, but you weren't sure. Everything was real kind of distorted through the whole show, which added to its aesthetic. But then you're like, is that just part of that life or is it because of him? It's so good. Yeah. Unreliable narrators. I mean, it, we we uh, we all fell for it. Um, hopefully in in your class in school, maybe you were in middle school, maybe it was high school, but. Um, maybe for people's first foray into that would be like uh, like the Telltale Heart, uh, yeah. where, where you have somebody that you think is you know has the best of intentions, and then you realize who they really are. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, I um, I feel like this movie does a nice seamless job of being distracting. And God dang, doesn't this have to be one of the hardest things to ever do in a movie? Like I'm going to do a confusing movie but not lose my audience. <laughs> How do you do that? And I'm going to ask you this because I, I feel like how I, I know how I felt about it. Do you feel like they present an, a solid enough narrative of him being a U.S. Marshal going to a hospital to look for an escaped patient? Do you feel like that narrative is presented strongly enough for you to be like, shit, maybe that's really just what he's there for. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think so. Okay. I mean, it's, you know, what's nice is it's, and I, it is based on a book, so it kind of had to do this, but what helps with it is a, it's set like right after world war two. So not a time I lived through. So I'm not real familiar with, you know, all I have our references are from movies and things like that of how life was and maybe our mental health system and, you know, prisons and how they worked and everything like that. So, yeah, watching this, you know, the horror stories you hear about how mental institutions were run and the the things that we did because we didn't understand mental illness at the time. We were just like, this is the only way around it. Cut, cut some of them out. You know, give them yeah. a lobotomy. Um, so, yeah, like, and and just, you know, I thought he was, he asked all the right questions. They blocked him at all the right parts, like not letting him see records and things like that. Um, yeah, I believed him. Yeah. And and I, I agree with you, because I think that that's sort of like the sad tragedy of this movie is that. You're hanging on to that, 
and you're hanging on to it as long as you possibly can. And then some shit starts happening where suddenly he's dressing in orderly clothes. Right. And you're like, this is kind of unraveling a little bit. And I'll tell you, it's if we're talking about fears here, yeah. this is a very, you, you picked a good one because you, you picked this movie for me. Um, this is a great one because one of my specific fears about losing my mind is the idea of going to a place there's a wonderful movie that I hope we cover sometime. It was filmed entirely on a um, iPhone 7 Plus by uh, Steven Soderbergh called Unsane. Yeah. And the whole premise of that, kind of similar to the premise of this, is sort of that fear of going to some sort of institution as a completely sane person. And then suddenly, like, something happens or changes, and now you're stuck there, and they think you belong there, and right. you can't leave. That's a fucking major fear of mine. Yeah. Um, and uh, so, so yeah, that, that, that place, one's valid. Yeah. That was, yeah. And it, 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 because, I mean, here's the thing. A lot of people don't realize this. Institutions, especially mental institutions at this time, and even prisons, maximum security prisons to this day, they're institutions that people turn as a society, turn a blind eye to. Yeah. And if you're sitting there in a fantasy world thinking that there isn't some shady shit going on in your local prison, I'm not talking jails, county jails, but in your prisons, you are terribly naive mm -hmm. because that is a, that is its own system that exists outside of law and order. Yeah. Unfortunately. And uh, so, yeah, that, that threat is real. Um, but uh, but no, I think they do a very, very good job of of things unraveling. And in addition to the plot progression of this movie, even though it, it takes its twists and turns, the one thing that really stuck out to me about this movie is how fucking gorgeous it is. Yeah. I mean, I know some of it, actually a lot more of it than you would think was CGI. Um, not necessarily like, it's not like they didn't film inside of, you know, uh, right. established buildings, but there were, there was a heavy use of CGI for this kind of movie. Yeah. But it is beautiful. And especially yeah, some see, of that sound like this didn't even get like a cinematography nod. No, that's crazy. How does that happen? You know, there's uh there's a moment where, uh, DiCaprio's character is sort of having a, uh, a hallucination or a memory back to his, his wife. And um, it's actually uh, very uh, well directly lifted from, I think it's Klimt's kiss, the kiss, the, the painting that, you know, every freshman in, yeah. has in their college dorm. Um, but, uh, you know, it's but it's beautifully done. The, the art design in this movie is is gorgeous and um, everything looks uh, large and beautiful and antiquated, but at the same time, sort of cold. It's a hard thing to do. I mean, it's easy thing. It's an easy thing to have like a Jacob's ladder and have a dilapidated silent Hill, <laughs> shitty piss on the floor, right? Mental institution. This one isn't meant to be outwardly criminal, but you do get the feeling in there that like, mm, this right. isn't right. Yeah. But yeah, it's not like a haunted house. No, no, no. <laughs> Ward C is <laughs> right. Yes. Yes, it is. Um, but at that point, that's another one of those things like. Because we're really only viewing that through Leo's character. We're like 45 minutes into it. I think we could start. We can okay. we'll kind of reveal. Well, heavy spoilers from here on out. Uh, we can kind of reveal the ending. But if you haven't seen it, we suggest seeing. I, I think we both say go see it. Yes. 
Um, but okay, so uh, all right, we're gonna talk about spoilers now because essentially, like I said in the synopsis, he shows up. He's there to you know investigate one disappearance, but he actually ha- wants to find this guy Andrew Latus, who he believes killed his wife. Uh, what we end up learning is that he is actually Andrew Latus, mm-hmm. and his wife didn't die in a fire. His wife killed their three children, and then he killed his wife, and then lost his mind afterwards, and created this whole other persona uh, of this office, you know, federal officer that is searching now for the man who killed his wife. Yeah, it's like the fugitive. If the fugitive was not real, like yeah, if Richard Kimball was a liar, so let, let I know I'm I'm glad that that we're taking this. So we learned he was a he's a patient there, yeah, and they just kind of in in hopes because yeah, like you were saying, Ben Kingsley's character, you're like, oh, this guy seems evil, but he's actually like, I don't I don't like the lobotomy thing, right? I was like, you know what? I'll give you free reign. Maybe this will help like trigger and you realize who you are. You can try and solve this mystery that you believe is real. And when you realize it's not real, hopefully that triggers you. It, you know, does it work or not? We'll, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. And the plausibility, a funny uh, comparison here, the plausibility of this whole thing might be on the level of like a, uh, April Fool's Day. Right. You know, where there's a lot of things Almost that have everything. to go now, just Now, it helps right. where most of your supporting cast are crazy <laughs> right. and really yeah. don't know what's going on anyway. Yeah. So if they look up and see a doctor pretending to be a cop and they're smiling and feel giddy about it, that kind of looks crazy. Right. And so it's fine. Oh, yeah. And Mark Ruffalo is his doctor. Yes. Dr. Sheehan. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about that. That psychology. Um I I found this to be one of the more more heartfelt and and really engaging parts of this story. So you know, and, and again, I, I want to say very quickly, I, I I'm no expert. I'm not a, a clinical psychologist. I have studied, read up on psychology of my own leisure reading from as far back as being in middle school, and then you know have some other experience with it. So what we have here and this is another beautiful example of misdirection i don't I, it's so beautiful that i don't even know if they could have been smart enough to intend this but yeah. if you ask somebody what the shutter island is about they're going to speak to the insanity of leonardo dicaprio's character but his sanity is really not even the core of this film it's his wife's manic depression right it's his wife's which we now call bipolar disorder but Really, Leonardo DiCaprio, if, if we're going to, if I'm, if I'm going to be pretentious and shitty about this for a second. Okay. So DiCaprio, would he, would his character have some trauma as a result of his presence in World War II? Sure. Is that going to be enough to shake his reality? Probably not. It isn't normally. I mean, there's certainly effects for veterans for longstanding amounts of time, but probably not enough yeah. to shake his borders of reality. Then, in addition, I mean, to they that, did let a, he did liberate Dachau. I mean, it was like he had yeah. a pretty significant right. They did about the most they could, but I still agree with you there. You're right, and then you couple that with some sort of like uh, time appropriate alcoholism <laughs> and uh, workaholicism. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's got some stressors, right? But what ultimately Leonardo DiCaprio's character suffers from is something called delusional disorder. And it's probably delusional disorder with uh, tendencies towards grandiosity and 
um, persecution. So the funny thing is about delusional disorder, though, is that you can be very high functioning with delusional disorder. And in fact, you don't even necessarily ever really have to have a, a definitive or visible break from reality if you do have delusional disorder. You just kind of have certain views of the world that don't necessarily align with actual facts. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but it's a movie. Um, whether or not a delusional disorder can kind of keep cycling through over and over, like somebody comes to a realization and then it sneaks back up right. on like some sort of cold virus, th- that that probably is a little bit of stretch from from normal psychology. But again, what I'm getting at is the the most heartbreaking part of this movie is regardless of of what he might be going through, it's the fact that he had a poor wife that was suffering from some, some very severe mental illness, enough to kill her own children, and enough to really want to beg to be dead, and for him to just sort of satisfy that need for her, yeah. to, and, and to kill a sort of a mercy killing. Uh, also probably coupled with his own just instinctual feelings out of finding his children dead. Yeah. It's, it's the most fucking tragic thing well, about a, this he movie. He is a violent person. That is kind of a huge, that's the whole Ted Levine speech. Yeah. Is you're violent. You'll never get away from that. Like you can try whatever you want, but I know, I know you cause you're like me. Right. And at the time, yeah, at the time you are just like, Oh yeah, these are two lawmen who are like we're just violent, but uh yeah, I mean one's the warden of a fucking prison for the criminally insane. I'm sure not a nice guy does not use the best corralling techniques. And then you've got a guy who now I don't know if this was supposed was that part embellished about them shooting the guards? No, I don't remember true. if they did. And that actually okay. happened at the Liberation Okay, Because yeah, they they you line all the guards up and mm-hmm. One tries to run, one guy shoots, and they're all like, whoops, yeah. and the bullets fly. So, yeah, so he's definitely, you know, into fucking revenge killing. Yeah. So, yeah, he's uh, yeah, it's such a great, in retrospect, part. Because, yeah, it does that part with Ted Levine does not need to be in that movie. I mean, it's, he's essentially getting picked up from one place and being driven to another. You can just have that happen. Right. There's no talk. But yeah, him talk, telling him, and that is like a huge clue. Then when you go back, you're just like, oh, this guy is the warden. He sees this guy every fucking day. And right. It's just like, I, he probably hated every minute of what was happening. He wanted that guy, he wanted him to fail for Yes. Sure. But you know, that's what, that's what ultimately what this movie is all about. And, and I, I promise I won't dwell on this. Um, you know, because there's so much to talk about with this movie, but let me just say this real quick. Cause I, if maybe this will help somebody who's listening and, and, or not, I hope it does. But I, I think what this movie is really getting at is that oftentimes we forget, and it's, it's something that really affected me when I was watching is that oftentimes we forget the reason why things happen in a fir- in the first place. And we lose sight of the beginnings of a change in our lives and we don't see that those beginnings, we only focus on what came after. Now, let me explain that for a second. Let's say you, let's say you have a shitty job and your boss is a dick to you and your coworkers, uh, you know, sabotage you or whatever. They're mean to you, whatever. And you decide, you know, one day you just say, I have had enough. I'm going to quit this job 
and I'm, I don't know where I'm going to go, but I'm going to get a new job and I'm going to move on. So you get a new job and maybe it's different hours than you normally had. Maybe it's less money or whatever. And you get about six months down the road or maybe let's say a couple months into it. And there's all these natural challenges with starting a new job. You know, you, you don't know everything like everybody else does. Maybe it's a longer commute. You're not making as much money. And then pretty soon you find yourself thinking like, you know, God, like what, what happened to me? Like I lost my mojo. Like I don't have it like I used to. And you start looking at all these other aspects of your life and you're forgetting, you're fucking forgetting the fact that none of that is happening. This all happened because you had a shitty job and you made a change and something happened. It was the catalyst for everything that's come after. There's not a whole bunch of, of cosmic universal badness happening to you. You just made a change in these. This is the fallout. So that's what this movie is about where his wife killed his kids. I mean, it's it. That's the reason for all of this. And he is just unwilling to, acknowledge that he can't acknowledge that because it's too painful so he creates this whole nonsense which will send him in a forever loop until you know the worst happens yeah so i guess just a nice little you know piece of advice that this movie gives its listening audience is don't get caught up in a moment you know like move on and don't let uh, and remember why you did things in the first place yeah now does she is it implied that she like there was a fire initially that she set. And is that why they move out of the apartment building or something? Because that's the, the, the story in his mind is his wife, Michelle Williams dies in this fire set by this Andrew latest. Mm-hmm. And he is, he is at shutter Island as a cop investigating this Rachel. Uh, uh, what was her name? Uh, Salando. Who to him is the one who drowned her three kids. Now I remember, I I feel like the 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 fire part did come back. It's not important at least in that. I did read uh some cool analysis on the water versus fire that I'll talk about. Yeah. Cuz there's a lot if you really start thinking about it. Um uh what was my point? But, I don't know. But, but if if there was indeed an apartment fire. Oh, right, right, that's right, a right. great question. Um, because there's also a line now you've seen this more than I have, but there's also a line where it's, um, the lake house that they, DiCaprio lives in with his wife and their children prior to her killing them almost seems like that was more of a, like a, a specific choice. Like you bought that lake house, right? Not necessarily like they had to move there. But maybe there was. Oh, a, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. Kind of yeah, like they like like you. You chose to move to the lake house. Maybe he was trying to help his wife or something yeah, like that. I don't know. I don't remember. It's but, not but, crucial. But you're right, though. That that is an interesting point that they choose to push that fire part when there really doesn't seem to be that. I much think that of a she just had done that in the past. I think that's what was. Oh, okay, okay. Because okay. it is a thing that happened. Okay. In the context. Got it. I'm almost sure. But yeah, there's another one. Michelle Williams. Uh, she rules in this. And then, and so does, uh, I mean, here, let's just like go through uh, this cast who we haven't talked about real quick. Uh, Max found Sadow as the German doctor, which was a great little foil and a great part that uh, helps make you start questioning everything because you're like, you know, German doctor. I would imagine people were real. 
wary about being around Germans. Yes. Circa late 40s, early 50s. Yep. Uh, so, yeah. So now you've got a German doctor kind of working in this isolated mental health hospital uh, with a character already seeming like he's losing his own sanity. So, yeah, you're already like, this guy's up to no good because uh, surely he's a Nazi. Uh, so he rules. Uh, I mentioned Emily Mortimer, who I can't think of what else she was in. Because she's the... When Rachel comes back, uh, she's got like a real... She looks French, but she's not this girl. Okay. She's English. Oh, okay. Hold on. I got to look up what her big... She did a lot of independent stuff before. Um, wow, she's in... Nothing huge I can think of. Crazy. <laughs> Scream 3? And she plays who? So uh, she plays Rachel Solando. So anytime you see a vision, no, that's different. She plays, remember, they're like, oh, Rachel came back. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yes, yeah. yes, okay. Now, I didn't pick this up, but she is actually a nurse who is acting like she's Rachel Solando. Okay, so I'm glad you said that. If that's the case, the woman who's in the cave, is she just a full-on hallucination? Great question, Tim. This leads me into my smoke and yes. uh, my fire and water retelling of someone else's excellent analysis. So um, so we know that Leonardo DiCaprio has... He killed his wife. She drowned their kids, mm -hmm. right? So... Uh, she killed them in water. The person he creates in his mind that kills his wife is a fire guy. She dies in a fire. Uh -huh. Two opposing things, water and fire. Okay. So every time in this movie that they're around water, that's reality setting in. And anytime fire is coming up, that's part of him that's creating a fiction. Oh, so that's why when so his first kind of dream that he has where he's with his wife and she burns up in his arms while he's holding her, his hands are dripping with water. Ah, uh, so there's that. Um, you can almost go as far as any time someone goes to, you know, like a light a cigarette or something. I, I don't remember all the specific stuff, but the big one about. So, yeah, he he. They, they hear that the lighthouse is where the lobotomies are happening. They're trying to figure out a way to get there. Mark Ruffalo is like, I'll find it or something. He thinks he sees Mark Ruffalo's body down at the base of this cliff wall Yeah, is, is where I'm getting at. That's, that's the important part. So he climbs down and there's a, and he sees a light in like a cave. There are all these little outcroppings on this wall and he crawls in and there's a woman in there and you know, she's got a knife. She's like, don't come any closer. And he's like, oh, my God, you're Rachel Solando. She's like, yeah, I am. I was a nurse here. They're doing terrible things here. Uh, and they were going to commit me. The thing you're thinking, that's what they're doing to, to Leonardo DiCaprio. She's like, they were going to commit me. I got out. And I'm just kind of like, I have to keep moving. I, but I can't get off this island. So it's kind of my life now. And she's even there in the like he's like all his other delusions that you see are very brief. But this one is like he like falls asleep in there and wakes up and she's in there. But that whole time there's a fire going inside. Mm. And then at the end, 
the symbolism of it or in this analysis is because he finally gets into the lighthouse where he believes all the lobotomies are happening. Mm -hmm. And Ben Kingsley is there. And that's where he is like, we got this far. Listen, man. He's like, I was hoping this would trigger you. This is all a ruse. This is all fake. So that's where he learns the truth out on a like peninsula surrounded by water in a lighthouse that is not lit. A fireless oh. lighthouse. Okay. 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 So, well, first of all, that's great. So, yeah. So, the so the woman in the cave is just a... And it is it is pretty much the only... If you go back and look at this movie, it's, that is the only part... That's the reason I found this, because I'm like, was that woman real or yeah. not? Yeah. And it's kind of the only part that's up to interpretation, but it's Martin Scorsese. There has to be some themes and, you know themes and shit going on there's no way he was just like i put a woman in a cave nah no one cares she's great yeah well we'll get uh uh, who they have patricia clarkson we'll get uh, patricia clarkson in there should be great you know uh the best scorsese you've ever heard what's that did you know i was doing scorsese (laughs) i said was that the best scorsese you've ever heard yeah well yeah that was pretty good that was pretty good uh yeah i um hmm man there's a lot to think about with that scene first of all that actress and that scene is so well done. She does such a great job. It's so well written that it's enough to be like, oh my God, he's finally figuring out the truth. Like she sells that. Yeah. And I mean, at least, I mean, I'd love to say that I, I saw through it, but she sells it so convincingly that I'm like, God, maybe this is really what's happening. Yeah. Um, But, but it's not the truth. Okay. Um, Here's one thing I will say about her. Maybe she was, inserted because if I, I don't know how uh stringently scorsese was following the the film noir rules but one of the aspects of film noir is a femme fatale mm-hmm. so a misleading woman a woman that is guiding you down you know seems to be l- offering you love or companionship but is leading you down a dark path yeah so she is even though she's not really sinister kind of a femme fatale yeah like she her even though she's not real her presence is leading him further away from the truth. Yes. The real truth. Yeah. So, yeah, you could kind of call her that. That works. Now, that scene that you mentioned about when the truth is finally revealed to Andrew, we now know it's Andrew, yeah. uh, in the lighthouse, that's what I'm talking about when I say that Ben Kingsley is just golden. He is so, he has a look of, of exhaustion and sadness and and just... Um, empathy and all he wants, he knows this, this, and I, you could say that part of it is just that he, as a psychiatrist wants this to be a success for himself or his name or his legacy, but it doesn't read that way. It reads like he just wants this poor fucking guy to just snap out of it. Yeah. And that he's, he's, he feels for him so deeply and man, do you pick that up? And, um, and, and, I even found myself fighting Ben Kingsley in that moment. Like he's still fucking lying to him, right. you know? Um, yeah. You are definitely like waiting for a, another shoe to drop. Yeah. But, but it doesn't. And then when it doesn't, you're, you just, you fall in love with that Ben Kingsley's character, even that much more. Yeah. He's so gentle, so kind, so, so thoughtful. Um, now there are people who do still think he was tricked. Hmm. Really? Yeah. That would almost seem harder. Like, hey, everyone, 
we're right. all going to trick well, this guy into thinking he's crazy. And who is Mark Ruffalo then? Yeah. And I, I think that that takes away what is probably kind of like the like weirdest and saddest and most, you know, sympathetic part of the downbeat ending where ultimately Andrew is led away to, to get a lobotomy because we think we see Andrew come out of the, uh, the cycle of, of delusion. We see it register on his face. Mm-hmm. We think he's cured. Well, he wakes up and he tells he's like, there. yeah, cause he passes out and he wakes up and they're like, do you know what happened? And he's like, yeah, I killed my wife yeah. after she killed my three children. Yeah, and he's right, right. there. Right now, and now Ben Kingsley has pointed out that yeah, they are like they're like you had a breakthrough like weeks done, ago or a few. Yeah, months you've done ago this before. Yeah. yeah, and you've regressed, and this is kind of your last shot. Yeah, right. I guess this is the only other speculative moment of the movie because there is d- debate on this. I feel like it's clear. Uh, maybe you don't. Uh, can I say it? Sure. Bring it? Okay. So, yeah. So they're like, okay, cool. He, you know, now sleep on it and we'll see where you're at in the morning. Yeah. Right. So, uh, Leonardo is sitting outside and Mark Ruffalo comes over and Leonardo's like, you know, I'll tell you what, uh, Chuck, we got to get to the bottom of this. Like, we're going to find out, we're going to find out what really happened to Rachel Solando or whatever he says. Yeah. You see Mark Ruffalo kind of look and over way off in the distance are the head security guard who is the guy from uh, I can't remember that actor's name. He was like the husband in Fargo. He was uh, Francis McDormand's husband. He's like the head of like the security force, I guess. Yeah. So it's him, Ted Levine and uh, uh, Ben Kingsley. Yeah. And he kind of looks over at them, gives the head shake like, nope, he, he regressed again. And then uh, Leonardo turns to him, and I want to get the right quote. Uh, where is it? He uh, he he just kind of like pontifically out loud, just kind of questions like, you know, what what do you think would be worse to to live as a monster or to die as a good man? And you just see Ruffalo like, whoa, what? And he's like, Teddy, like, what what'd you say? And he just keeps walking away. Yeah. So what I think i feel is very heavily implied and what i do think is happening is he still remembers yes he realizes exactly what he is and he's like well i can now either live with this horrific thing that damaged my brain for the rest of my life or they can just go cut a chunk out of my brain and i can retire on this on this nice island in boston Harbor. yeah uh with without any uh desire for escape. Yeah, I can't believe we've gone this far without yeah. some federal marshals. Yeah, how, yeah. I mean that and you know, in the beginning of the movie I was kind of like where is this taking place and I'm like why am I questioning that right. because obviously they're going for, for Well, cuz right away it's like Ruffalo says he's from Portland, so you're like, yeah. oh, oh, okay. Oh, cuz yeah. it does look like the shitty fogginess of like a Pacific Northwest type area. Right. And, uh, but no, I is speaking to Foggy. what you, Foggy. yeah, it, it's, it's it looks very nice. Foggish. Yeah. Uh, so Not that, sure. that moment, I believe exactly what you believe that, that he has not regressed, but that he's probably had a little bit of 
a little bit more time than he's had in the past. Maybe he's been a little bit more rapid cycling. Maybe this is the longest that he's ever held on yeah. to that sanity. Long enough for him to contemplate those two choices of, you know, I shot my wife, you know, and she killed my three kids. Now, look, uh, I'm all about the healing, but that's about as bad as it gets. Yeah. And I, I don't want to say you can't blame a guy, but I mean, you would really have to be strong willed to say, you know, I'm just going to find the silver lining in the whole three dead kids and shot my wife thing that happened. Um, so I think it's pretty understandable that he would make that decision to say, you know, I'm not going to kill myself. You know, I'm, I'm it's Catholic or whatever, you know, like I'm, I'm not going to do this, but I've got an opportunity to sort of take the pain away mm -hmm. and, uh, that he just goes along with that. It's sad as hell. Yeah. Um, but then again, him, so though. is, so is the other reality, yeah. you know? Yeah. I don't blame him. Um, cause as someone says something earlier too, and this is why I'm like, I feel like there's no question. Cause they were like, they say something about like, it's kind of a nice place to like live out yeah. your days or whatever. Right. Like, you know, it could be worse or something like that. I don't remember, but just like, you know, just being taken care of and not having to worry about anything. Well, you know what it kind of reminds me of in a sort of weird way. It sort of reminds me of Hunter Thompson's suicide because nobody really talks about that in the same way that other celebrity suicides are talked about, which is like such a tragedy yeah. or such a like, Oh my God, I, somebody could have saved him. It was literally Hunter Thompson being in so much physical pain and being older, he's yeah. 70. And, you know, he was in a lot of pain. Oh, was he 70? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He made it long enough. And, and he was just like, you know, this is just not how I live. This is not what I've done my whole life. And so even his own son was just kind of like, they just, it was treated as a death, yeah. not as a suicide, right. not as a celebrity suicide. And everybody just kind of fell in line with that. It just sort of made sense for him. How do you feel about that? I'm a big believer in that. People should be able to do that. Um, hmm. Well, yeah, I guess that's a nice circle back around to that test of sanity. Like as long as we know, like Hunter, exactly. Hunter Thompson, I have no problem with that. Yeah. Um, but I mean, uh, yeah, it's not, yeah, I'm not talking like, it's just like a, yeah, let's do it today. Right. And we're certainly not talking about the Kennedys lobotomizing one of their daughters because she thought, you know, they thought she was a little too lippy, um, <laughs> which a lot of people don't surprisingly a large amount of people don't know about, but, yeah. Um, but no, this kind of situation, um, you know, I, I believe, I believe that if somebody demonstrates a, a very cognitive understanding of their own circumstances, um, and that as we, as a kind of like what we were talking about, sanity is sort of this sort of, uh, universal collective decision on what's reality and what's not. Mm -hmm. If enough people sit around and they're like, yeah, this guy's gonna, his life is going to fucking suck for the next, whatever five years that he might live it out. He's going to be in pain. He's going to be immobile. Um, and if he chooses to go before it gets any worse, uh, maybe we just let him do it. Yeah. I, I don't have a huge problem with that. I really don't. Yeah, I don't. All right, cool. I never thought we'd we talk, about talk, talk about but that. No, but, I, but I guess that makes sense. Um, I think no, it's so, important to get in people's minds. It's pretty it's pretty out there. Yeah. But, you know. Well, I think it brings up just us talking about this, I think, brings up a really exciting part about this movie. And that is, what is this movie? I mean, here we are covering it on a horror podcast, <laughs> right. which is certainly horrific um, in, in parts in nightmarish and, and all those other adjectives you want to throw out. But um, and it's definitely a thriller, and it's definitely psychological. You don't think this is horror? Just wait, just wait. Right? Yes, <laughs> yes. 
Anyway. But um, I will say, uh, I, I think this movie does a really nice packaging of several different genres. I don't know. I, in a lot of ways, I, to me, it's really more of a drama than anything. I mean, yeah. I, and there's nothing it's wrong not with saying that. It's not scary by any means, yeah. but it is very tense. Yeah. Um, yeah. And unless you see it coming from a mile away, you really are, you know, don't know what's coming. Well, yeah. And oh, oh I, I think I know what you were referencing now. Hmm. With the horror thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You're right. Um, but but I will say this, though. Atmospherically, they do a great job. Just speaking really quickly to the to the music in this film. There was no original score for this movie. It was all handpicked by Robbie Robertson, who a lot of people know as a, as a musician in his own right. But he handpicked a lot of atonal composers like Ligeti and Penderecki, uh, John Cage. Um, and... This was music that I was introduced to years and years and years ago by actually a loyal listener, friend of the show. Yep. Um, Dr. Jesse Renault is a composer, uh, uh, a modern composer, uh, still with us, still alive, which is funny to say. <laughs> when you talk about composers, it doesn't seem like they should all be dead. But thank God he isn't. He's alive and well and uh, living in Germany. And um, he introduced me to this music um, that is used throughout this film. Uh, a couple decades ago, and I, I remember being very frustrated by it because I love classical music and I love the almost the predictability of traditional classical music. And this music that's used in this film kind of thrives on its unpredictability or its sort of primalness. Uh, but it's perfect for this movie. I mean, when they're when they're approaching Shutter Island and you're hearing that music and you're seeing those rocks and that you know ominous building. Um, this movie sets tone like no other. Yeah. I mean, it's creepy. Yes. Um, and, and there's also, they also find a way to work in some Mahler, which is really nice. He was kind of my bridge composer to, to the atonal stuff. Um, and, and that's really beautiful as well. But um, no, I don't know. If somebody wants to say to either you or I, like, hey, this, Shutter Island, it's, it's not horror. I don't know. I mean, is it that out of line to talk about it in a horror podcast? No. I don't think so. No. I'll always just go back to that Carpenter yeah. quote about it's a reaction. Thank God for that yeah. quote. We can do anything we want. That's right. Uh, I was going to uh, say, and I meant to bring it up earlier, in, in the fire water uh, uh, theory, one of the parts in this movie where it's it's the part where it's like, we're just going to tell you what's happening in this movie, but you're still going to be like, what's this guy talking about? Cause it's when they go into ward C cause they're so that, you know, Rachel has arrived. Right. And so now they're like, cause they found this cryptic note, which is not, does not play a big part. Like I keep forgetting that exists yeah. while we were watching the movie. And then when I was looking things up again, I was like, Oh, right. Cause it's, and it's a cryptic note. And it said uh, something about don't forget the rules of four and who is 67. Uh -huh. And I was like, oh, right. He's the 67th patient. What was the rules of four? Like, I don't even remember what that was. I don't either. I think it was something with what he did with names, maybe. Oh, OK. OK. Because, yeah, he created these names. He's also a uh, amazing anagramist, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. He's able to, you know, create other names out of his his name and his wife's He's name. He's an anagramma. <laughs> an anagram. A bad anagramma. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so they're like, okay, 
like Ward C is for all the super crazy people. They won't let them in there. They're like, something has to be going on in there. So he breaks in, actually gets in a tussle with one of the escaped guys. Cause there's a huge storm too. So, you know, people are getting out of their cages. Um, and he almost kills him. There's also a whole other, uh, thing about how little his character respects the mentally ill. Like hmm. he's constantly like, you know fuck them they're savages he almost strangles this guy just for whatever reason yeah um so there's a whole a whole side thing with that but anyway so while he's in there there's so mark, mark ruffalo comes by is like dude i gotta get this guy to the doctor you almost killed him so while he's in there there's another inmate in like a darkened cell that comes up to him and here and it's so it's uh jackie earl haley a guy who i never remember his name and i and it's so unique. Yeah. I don't know why I never remember it. Uh, he's, you know, a guy that I, you know, I've like grown up with, but mm-hmm. has never been a huge. I, I mean, obviously I can never remember his name. Right. <laughs> but he's been like, you know, he was in Bad News Bears when we were kids. He was then in Breaking he was Away. In Breaking Away. Then he's in, you know, he was in The Watchmen. He was Rorschach. Like, that's probably his biggest role he's had uh, i think he got nominated for an oscar one time he did some weird little indie movie where he was like a child molester yeah and he was also freddy krueger in the remake of. Uh, i Street. was yeah. not going to mention that but you did oh no, i was going i was going to mention it no i was no not for yeah. that no i was <laughs> going to mention it uh but yeah and he he's just kind of a weird little guy with a his face is uh just looks rough even in this movie He's been beat up and like cut. He looks really yeah. bad, but even just normally, he's he, like Daniel Day Lewis's mini me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sort of his his Devito twin. Yeah, almost. exactly. Um, but yeah. So at this point, the like this is where they're like, okay, we're just going to tell you what's happening because mm-hmm. uh, Leonardo DiCaprio's trying to talk to him, and you know, and he's like, "What happened to your face?" He's like, "You did this to me." Like, you beat the shit out of me because I called you Andrew Latest, you know? And all through that scene, he keeps lighting matches so that he can see him. Yeah. And during that, his wife materializes ah. in the cell. So that's more of the fire stuff. But yeah. So anyway, Jackie Earl Haley is in this. It's just his little bit part. He and Ted Levine, they both had one page of dialogue. And yeah. They, they were done. Um, so DiCaprio, would you say then that he is housed there as a patient? Yes, because um, that's how that's the him. other part where you're like, why did they let him do this? Because as he's as um, uh, <laughs> Kingsley is explaining to him, he's like, you're actually one of our most violent patients. Yeah. <laughs> like, why the fuck do you let this guy run around an island? Now, it's got a fake gun and everything, and I think everyone was very, uh, you know, right. aware of what was happening. There's probably a lot, you know, we obviously don't see on the sides. Right. Maybe, you know, a lot of humoring, though. Like, there's that part they he busts into that, like, dinner with all the doctors, yeah. and they're not just like, dude, get uh, your... Sh- Get your patients under control. They're right. just all like, this is normal. Yeah. Yeah. I um, I don't know. I, I guess I mean, it's not overly plausible. Maybe you could make a case for the fact that they were like, look, this is a person who was, in fact, a U.S. Marshal in, in reality. Yeah. Um, he's got a he's pretty smart. 
you know, I mean, you, you know, at putting things together, um, he's got a brain that is built for following clues and, and, uh, finding, uh, picking up clues and, and finding the, the means to an end and getting to, you know, finding his man, yeah. like his whole occupation in his prior life, prior to his diagnosis or the onset of his, uh, delusions was in finding the truth. <laughs> So probably in that regard, he's probably the best choice that you could have or best hope that you would have because that's somewhere in there. That's his brain is wired that way. But um, but still a pretty big production. I mean, to, to think that you're going to have I mean, even just like the orderly staff going along with the whole thing, right? Like, it's pretty good acting there by people who have probably never seen a stage in their life. But um, yeah, I a little far fetched, I suppose. But um that twist comes so late. The true twist comes so late that it doesn't really have you overthinking too much of that. Yeah. You know, maybe on a second viewing, you might be like, oh, this is a pretty big production for this all to, to fall into place. But, um, but it kind of leaves you loving Mark Ruffalo's character the most. Like he's the guy that's really in the trenches with him. Yeah. Um, which I still, I guess I, ha- I still have a couple of questions and I- I'm not going to pose them right now because I, I i'd almost have to go scene by scene i do have a few questions as to this ruse that they put together to get dicaprio to to really you know come to the realization of who he is i mean is all the wandering all of the you know the rain and the storm and the going out there on the island and when he finds the cave and all that i mean is he really that out in the open that's a great question i don't know because yeah that that seems irresponsible. Like, right. just let him traverse the cliffs. Right. I don't know. Maybe they're like, well, if he dies. Yeah. You know. Right. Maybe it's his head yeah. and they just kind of, you know. This boy, he's the one who wanted to solve the mystery. Right. Right. But yeah, it is. And again, I don't know what we're not seeing, you know, or do they have like a bunch of guys kind of like hanging out in the woods following him right. around? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and, uh, I don't know. I guess though that it's it it couldn't be any more telling than it is without giving something away. Yeah, that that he's pretty supervised through the whole thing, except for like that last. Yeah, because we always see like you know jeeps kind of coming up out of nowhere and the headlights are on and stuff like that, and you're kind of like, how did they even know where he was? So I mean, you're right, probably on the on the fringes there. And when they find him, he's been missing all night, and they're just like, where you been? Right. Yeah, not like okay. That enough of this. I guess they kind of know that he, he couldn't go anywhere off the island. Well, I mean, he's, he's somewhere here on the island. Yeah, that's a good point. But um, yeah, no, I uh, I like the the movie in general. I'd be really interested to see. I know it was well received by critics. I'd be interested to see what audiences thought of it. Did you have the Rotten Tomatoes on this? Yeah, it's only like 68. I want, And I wonder the reason that I'm, that's kind of what I thought it might be, because I'm wondering if maybe uh, a good chunk of the viewing audience just felt like maybe their time had been wasted or that they thought it was too convoluted or they just maybe they still didn't get it at the end. Right. Um, you know, uh, not everybody goes to to the movies for the same experience. So if right. you're just going for sheer Leonardo DiCaprio looking good in a pair of Levi's entertainment, you know, yeah. this movie is not going to be the one that gives it to you. Well, there are a lot of people that might not go to a Scorsese movie. 
either. Well, like, true. Oh, I'm not into that oh, type of uh, maybe they're used prestige to prestige stuff. Okay, maybe they're used this to might be Leo's a little too much for me. Right, they loved him in Titanic. Yeah, um, this is a island. You know, it's close enough. I'm sure I'll love it, <laughs> but have never seen Taxi Driver in their lives. Which is that time? It's fine, but um, but yeah, no, I, 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 I could see some people feeling like um, it's not a happy ending. Um, and, uh, so yeah, you have to be willing to appreciate a good downbeat ending for this one. Um, and the journey, man, they cram in so much. It's funny. You mentioned the note and I kind of completely forgot that the note existed, but talk about some effective red herrings here. I mean, there's so many things along the way, like him blowing up cars or whatever. You're like, this is it. You're like, you're like, this is it. Like this is the big thing, you know, but it's just, it, it, it never is the thing. And maybe that's maybe again, not, not getting too heady about it, but maybe that's the whole premise of this he entire probably never movie. does blow up that car because it's fire oh yeah right yes you're yeah. right you're right but maybe that's the maybe that's the whole over overriding message of this movie is that uh you know stick to the simple stuff you know don't overthink it no uh and don't overthink this movie when you watch it just sit back like i did and just let it happen yeah yeah, I liked it. I was really shocked at the at the kind of reception it got, but what you gonna do? I'd like to hear, yeah, if anybody I know we still we still ask for it often, but if anybody would like to write in and tell us if they enjoyed this movie, this might be a nice one too that more people have seen. Uh that maybe was a little bit more divisive amongst the audience. I'd yeah. like to I'd like to hear. Yeah. Let's get some fights going yeah. on our Instagram page. Like we did over uh, arachnophobia. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's all right. Okay. That was Shutter Island from 2010. Okay. This is a big moment. Because this one is like... We mentioned it before. We're doing our little Summer of Fear miniseries. Realized three weeks into it, there is a fifth week in the month of August. So we were throwing around some like, oh, God, what do we do now? Um, I had uh, recommended. I was like, what if we just kind of went crazy? And we did this movie. It's called Enemy with Jake Gyllenhaal. It's got some spider undertones in it. Also, maybe some mind losing. At least definitely some like, I'm not sure what's real right now uh, going on. We bandied that about for a little bit. And then you and I watched a movie together. And I said, what What, what if we did this movie? Because um, it is kind of horrific. It does definitely deal with one of our fears pretty directly. Oh, yes. I mean, it's kind of a key point in the movie. Yes. Uh, and also, I mean, we just went through a month of reliving our worst fears so you know what this last one this one's for us tim have a little fun yeah we're gonna do whatever we want and guess what we're covering the famous horror film the suicide squad from 2021 (laughs) that's what we're doing it's gonna be fun It is I actually know a lot about like I don't even need to research this movie I know so much info on it uh it deals very directly with a great 
and uh, your fear that we didn't get to cover, which was the rats. Rats, yes. A lot of rat stuff on this. So big spoilers going into next week uh, with the Suicide Squad. I feel like that's a movie, even if we spoil it, you're not you're gonna not going to be like, can't watch this now. Like, right. That gives away the ending. Well, and let's let's be very, very, very clear about this in case somebody has you know, been living under a rock. We're not talking about the Suicide Squad that came out in what was that? Maybe 2007. Well, that's just called Suicide oh, Squad, suicide. not the Suicide Squad. Oh, okay. Squad. Yeah, it's very. That's how you tell. It's an important distinction. <laughs> uh, the yeah, Suicide 2016, Squad. Yeah, I want to say it was the first right, one. Yeah. yeah, but this, yeah, this is the one that just came out. It is clearly the newest movie that we've ever done. Yes, um, and uh, probably will always be the newest movie that we've ever done. Maybe. Yeah. And uh, but yeah, still, hey. Uh, let's let's just go ahead and say it there are some not shutter island style there are some straight up horror movies that we've covered that don't have nearly the gore that no. the suicide squad does no so no. plenty of gore for yeah. you gore hounds and yeah. fun and fun we haven't said fun, fun a whole lot lately no yeah we've not it's time to get back to that i tried with arachnophobia but you weren't on board with that so <laughs> The least fun, fun movie you've ever seen. Yes. I'm over it, though. Yeah, I'm not talking about arachnophobia anymore because I'm doing The Suicide Squad. I am a movie I loved a lot. So I'm looking forward to watching it. I promise we'll be back on track. We've got a whole fun new miniseries for September that we'll reveal next week. Um, Ooh, and that's got, yeah, and I won't say a thing about it, but that has some stakes to it, does it not? I mean, it might. some things writing kind of, on that. Yeah, that's the point of it, but we'll see what happens. Yeah. It'll all make sense when you find out. Right, right. Keep listening. Um, but yeah, so I'm excited about the Suicide Squad. Please join us for it. I know it's uh, not it. I'm going to say it's not your normal horror, but you know, one time. Yeah. One time we can branch yeah. out here. It's got Even suicide. This movie in the also was not really horror. Yeah. Kind of. We're going to get back to definite horror. Yes. Hang in there, goddammit. I can't wait to talk about the Suicide Squad. <laughs> it's so good. Uh, okay. So, yeah, that's um, Shutter Island. Please check out our website, Slumber Podcast. Uh, uh, slum- Jesus. What is it? Slumberpodcastmasker.com. I should write it down. You think I did? I actually did, and then I accidentally deleted it. Oh wait, no, here it is. Boom. Okay, yeah, our website is slumberpodcastmassacre.com. Email us, please, slumberpodcast at gmail dot com. Huge thank to all our uh, patrons. You help make this show possible and help get it out there for everyone else. Uh, if you're listening, you know, give us a little, uh, throw us a rating or something on wherever you get your podcast. That helps us get the word out as well. Uh, so like I say every week, Tim, do you got anything else to say about Shutter Island? Well, if, if anybody didn't think that there was, you know, enough humor in Shutter Island, uh, we did experience it. I'm not, I'm not bragging here, but it was just something I was glad to be a part of. It was a really nice moment. Um, so to speak, when, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio has pulled his drowned children onto the shore and laid them all out, and he is as devastated in the moment, heartbreaking, can't even imagine what he is looking at. These poor three little kids just lined up wet on the lawn, and he's just you know kneeling by them, and it was the perfect time when you and I were watching it with several other people to just bust out the, I'm the king of the world! <laughs> and it was yeah. so well-received. I mean, it just... 
it was such a sad moment and it just needed it and it was it was so great so yeah you're lucky you weren't uh, committed for the veracity you cut that tension with <laughs> yes no yeah that would be enough to do it that's great well you are king of the world Tim and I'll I'll see you next week you are <laughs> bye, bye.